Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are continuing through the New Testament, and we are in 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 11 tonight. And this is, uh, there's some heavy stuff here. It's definitely some, do we want to say controversial? Uh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, depends on what side of the equation you're on, I guess. If it's yeah, controversial. It really I guess is. both sides would say, no, it's not controversial. It's clear. It just believe <laughs> what right. I believe. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, and for the listener's sake, I wrote 13 blog posts on the issue of women and justice back in 2021. If you go to determinedtruth.com, you can find the post. Just type in uh, women in the search bar and all the, all the episodes will come up. But specifically post 10, 11, and 12, which were posted in June of 2021. I address this particular passage that we're looking at here. So if you want to see this in script and kind of go through it more um, thoroughly or whatever, that I would encourage you to look at the blog post. So the issues with chapter 11, it's going to be in verses 2 through 16. I guess this is one of those things where depending on where you come down is kind of going to dictate the type mm-hmm. of church you're going to be affiliated with. I mean, it could be yeah. mainly from a practical standpoint uh, because it, and, and we'll flesh out some terms like egalitarian, complementarian, but it's basically what is the role of women? What are women allowed to do in the church? Yeah. And so it, depending on where you land, that's probably going to help inform uh, the type of congregation you are engaging with because it's especially if you're a woman or even if you're just a man who has a conviction saying, you know, like, no, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't believe a woman should be preaching or how dare you not allow a woman to preach. <laughs> you know, even if you're not doing the preaching, you're going to, you know, come down in an area where you're going to feel most comfortable. So this is definitely one of those kind of topics. Yeah. And I think we would say, I think we would agree on this. And I know we don't necessarily agree on the theological c- conclusions on mm-hmm. this topic, but that, regardless of which church you go to, be careful about bad-mouthing the people at the other church. Yeah, yeah. And, and putting them down and looking at them as though they're lesser than somebody mm-hmm. else for whatever it might be. So let's let's kind of have some more grace in our conversation and the way we treat one another and the way we address this conversation. So yeah, so what we're looking at is 11, chapter 11, verses 2 through 16 in this particular episode. Now in this passage, and then also chapter 14, 33, 34, and 35, which we won't get to tonight, you're looking at two passages that are regularly cited by those who affirm what we say as male headship, which is often known as complementarianism, which is kind of an odd title, by the way, mm-hmm. because they're not really complementarianisms in the sense that you know you think of compliments as two equals, right? You, you just complement one another. But the idea of complementarianism is that the male is put in charge of the of the household. Uh, often they go back to Genesis three that God made man as the authority and, and woman was to serve was to serve the man. Uh, they might be equal in Christ, but they're still women can't have a role of being pastors and uh, some churches they can't preach or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's differences on that. We'll get to that in First Timothy. Then there's the egalitarian and the egalitarian says, no, there's a total equality between male and female in the church and in the in the, in the New Testament, the, the new creation. And I think what we will look at is the fact that and you've alluded to it earlier, that we have to have some latitude here because both views are going to be grounded in the text. And they mm-hmm. both look at each other as this is what the text says. No, no, this is what the text says. And we're going to grapple with that ourselves tonight. And I think the key thing, though, is, is that you don't look at one side and go, well, you guys are just a bunch of male chauvinist pigs. or And you don't look at the other side and go, no, you guys are just a bunch of women liberationists. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there really are people on both sides of the fence, and you and I might even be on, on different sides, uh, that are honest people of integrity who are really approaching the, the text with humility 
trying to discern what the text really honestly says. They're not going to the text necessarily with an agenda to prove and see. It proves my agenda. They are looking at the text and grappling with it. In fact, I've flipped 100%, 180 on this. I, I was fully on the on the camp of this is what the text says. It's men are in authority in the church. Women can't pray or, or can't preach or have authority in the church. That's just the way it is. And now I'm like, no, actually, I think that's not what the text is saying. So I, I think we need to look at it from that perspective. Well, and just to address what you had said right before that, what we are addressing is the text. So like we are concerned with what is the text saying? We want right. to be faithful to the text. And that's what's going to drive our ethic. And that's where I would say, I totally agree. I know people on both sides of this equation that it's their, it's the text that's earnestly driving them to their right. conclusions. I would also say though, I do know people on both sides of the equation that it's not, the text doesn't have anything to do. The text becomes right. a proof text for what yeah, they yeah, want yeah. to believe. Right. And right. so I know people who are on, on the complementarian side, which is, I would say that's my camp, even though I, I think both terms are just, it creates a binary where it's like okay, you have to be sure. either one of this. So whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll use those terms. Okay. But on the complementarian side, I know many people, because that's my world, where their view is really kind of drawn by, driven by bigotry and misogyny. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's like, okay, it's not the text driving this. It's, yeah. you're just, you're a chauvinist. <laughs> uh, and I would say on the other side, it's, hey, come on, we need to get with the times. You know, it, there's maybe social things that are influencing people. And it's like, I don't think either one of those positions, right. if at the end of the day, God says, yes, this, what A or B, one of these is my, where I would have, you know, landed. If you hold one of those positions, I don't think that's God honoring. I don't think he cares right. that you got the right answer if your attitude is misogyny or just wanting to be trendy. Uh, that, that's yeah. that's not doing justice to the, the text. Yeah, and there are people on the egalitarian side, the side that says men and women are equal in the church, women can't be pastors and preach in the church, th that side, who actually think that Paul said that they can't, but Paul was wrong. Mm -hmm. And we're not taking that, I'm not holding that position at no, all. So no. th there are people who uh, look at the text with integrity and the people who don't, and there are people that go in there with a bias and a prejudice, and and we're all prejudiced to some extent, but I, sure. I'm looking at the text, hey, this is what I think. No, I think actually Paul was saying this, and I'll and I'll make that case tonight. And we'll look at First Timothy and, and uh, when we get there, which might be six months or more. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this is good kind of to, to lay this out as sure. well. Uh, yeah. And and I know we talked about this like a year ago or something like that. So we, we did an episode mm -hmm. that was similar to this, but now sure. we're actually going through the text. All right. So would you say that uh, also, regardless of where you're at in the issue, um, there could be justice concerns uh, when it comes to this topic? Yes. And this is what's interesting also, and that is we not only tend to label people on one side or the other, you're a male chauvinist or you're a woman's liberal, but we also then when the topics of justice come to the table, uh, and I think this may be more true in complementarian congregations, they're afraid to have the conversation at times, not always, mm -hmm. but sometimes because they're like, okay, where's this going? If If I say, yeah, women deserve equal pay, then is that going to lead down this path of, and it's like, no, okay, listen, we need it's to It's the slippery slope fallacy. Yeah, exactly, right? If you wedge the door open a little bit, then mm -hmm. they're going to rock it open all the way and take it off its hinges. It's like, no, listen, there are women that are abused and mistreated. Um, and if you come alongside the Me Too movement and affirming women uh, of sexual abuse, it doesn't make you a liberal. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And why are we, why are we putting these two things on the same table here? The topic of women in the, in the church and then ministry is one issue, but women and justice is another issue. And we can address those issues separately. So I just had a conversation last week with someone. Uh, one thing that I'm really proud of my church is there's been a couple of times that King David has been brought up with Bathsheba mm. and it's been popularly 
adopted the phrase that when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, mm-hmm. right? And and the, the text doesn't say adultery. Uh, no. Let's call it what it is: it's sexual assault at its lightest, and it's rape at it's, its right. yeah, what exactly. it probably is, right? Yeah. Um, and so because he's the king, and she's not, and she almost has no say. Yeah, exactly. And and, and so there's been our, our women's Bible study is going through uh, that part of the text, and that and so that's come up, and and someone heard in my own Sunday school class it was it was a different uh, topic, but I mentioned, Hey, David raped her. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is what happened. And so anyway, it, it's, it's created some really interesting con- uh, conversations in my congregation. And mm-hmm. the, you know, people are pushing back because they've always heard adultery, adultery. It's like, no, mm-hmm. this is not adultery. One of the conversations that was happening was as people are just uncomfortable with language that might demean the great King David, mm-hmm. It's uh, they're doing some research on blogs and whatever. And, and the conclusion was it's only this modern generation that's using rape language because they're woke. It's wokeism. That's because right, wokeism yeah, is the, is the, the, uh, the boogeyman. Right. Yeah. And I, I told this person, I'm like, I'm like, I have no clue what that means. <laughs> like whatever woke means, you know, and I, obviously there's a thing there with it, but you can't just blanket it. But here's the thing. If that's what wokeism is. Right then then call me woke yeah count it, me in yeah, yeah exactly. like if, I, if that's what it is I, and i actually think that's christian in this instance i'm not saying mm-hmm. like all wokeism is because it, it's a phrase that doesn't mean anything but we we shouldn't be afraid to call something out because there's a political ramification because it's not going to gel with our uh you know political narratives in our country during yeah. 2022 it's like that's a ridiculous reason to affirm or deny a, a theological conclusion that i think it's just right there right so uh, do we want to look at the text? That might be a good idea. You know, read the whole thing. This podcast maybe? is all about. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, I would say the reason why we're oh, not starting yeah. at verse one is because we, you attached verse one onto the end of chapter 10 right, uh, in right. our last episode. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. So in this section, uh, verse two through 16, when you just do a plain reading of it, it seems yeah. like the text is saying, and Paul is saying, Hey, women are subordinate to men. Yes, it definitely does. Now, here's the, I remember looking at this text when I was back in, again, I have a master's degree from Liberty University, the home of fundamentalism and, and all that. And I remember this text being in there, and this is a a major text for them. The man is the head of the woman, right? And male headship, that's the whole idea of complementarianism. I remember just looking at this text and thinking, okay, wait a minute, this is awfully complex here. And the argument was, well, the word head means this in this verse, and it means this in this verse, and it was really confusing. But the bottom line is, it sure does look that it's teaching male headship. And I would also note this. I was listening to a podcast just recently with N.T. Wright, and he commented. And Wait, you I'm were listening? Sure like you guys were in a car together listening to it? No. <laughs> Good try. Yeah, uh, thank you. Try it again. <laughs> I was recently listening to a podcast in which N.T. Wright was on it because <laughs> Vinny doesn't understand regular <laughs> English. So I have to spell things out for him. And he commented that he's read all the commentaries on First Corinthians. He's asked about this passage. He's read, I've read all the commentaries on First Corinthians. And then he still doesn't know what this passage means. So mm-hmm. it's, that that, that tell, tells you something. Now, I did look up, he has a, a Vinnie, you're aware, a magnum opus on, called mm-hmm. Paul and the Faithfulness of God. It's four volumes, but it's actually in two books. It's, I don't know how many pages, thousand something odd, odd pages. And he's got like a 50 page bibliography. And I looked through his bibliography and there's actually one work, work in there I didn't find. There's a work by a woman named Lucy Pepiet. She wrote a book called Women and Worship at Corinth, Paul's Rhetorical Arguments in Corinthians. And I think it's fantastic. And I looked at her writing and I thought, this act, finally, something makes sense. 
uh, I would argue that it's the best um, understanding of the text all, all along. And what she simply is arguing is that what we've been discussing kind of all along, that there are words of Paul and there are words of Paul's opponents. And I would, I think her argument basically makes the most sense where she argues that the best reading of these passages shows that the complementarian reading, the idea of male headship, not only contradicts what Paul was saying, but they're actually, the complementarians are actually siding with Paul's opponents. I think if we look at the text carefully, at the beginning of the text, he says, women should have their head covers. At the end of the text, he says, like, what are you talking about? They have long hair. That's good enough. It's like, well, well wait a minute. You said women should have their head covered. And now you're like, no, they don't need their head covers. They have long hair. And I think when you recognize the fact that one was Paul's opponents arguing that they had to have their head covered, and the other is Paul saying, guys, sorry, not going to work. She has to have her head covered, but God gave her long hair. We're good to go with this. So when we read through this section, it talks about a couple roles that the women seem to have within the congregation, which is they're praying and prophesying. And so that's a big deal. Because that yeah. seems to contradict the idea that they're just to kind of be shut up in window dressing or something. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. In fact, this is where I think the issue resides. The question is whether or not women have to pray and prophesy with their heads covered as a sign of subordination to men uh, or not. But the fact that women were praying and prophesying in church affirms, I think, the status of women and the elevated status of women in the New Testament. And I think what you're going to see is that Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll get to later on, but that prophets are second only to apostles and the kind of the hierarchy of spiritual gifts. So then what we've already been doing as we've looked at 1 Corinthians, this is one of those sections uh, where we need to figure out, is this Paul's words or his opponents? Yeah, this is, like I think, the crux of the matter, that if if this word is Paul's, then he's teaching that women are inferior to men, that the man's the head of the household, that men's the, men's the head of the, of the woman, and Christ is the head of man. That's the way it is. And God made it this way. She needs to have her head covered. That's and which is interesting, by the way. I kind of, and I don't mean this in a um, polemical way, but the irony is this: is if you take the Amish and the Mennonites and some of the, some of those um, denominations where women have to have a head covering, mm -hmm. yeah. My response. What I'm going to say the text is saying is that's what Paul's opponents were arguing, not Paul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, if you take the idea of a complementarian view, and I know that you you know might loosely ascribe to that, and I'm not sure where you're going to fit in, and that's fine. But the idea of that is, well, Paul is definitely teaching that the woman is inferior to the man in terms of the man having headship over the woman. He's the head of the woman, and Christ is the head of the man. Mm -hmm. Then why do they not say women had to have to have, have to have their heads covered? It's like the text clearly says that because the man's the head of the woman, she needs to have a sign of subordination on her head. And that sign of subordination is a head covering. And so I think, but if I think if, if, if that's the case, then I think you have a two, two particular problems, one of which we're going to focus on tonight or today. And that is that Paul ultimately would be contradicting himself. As I said already, at the beginning of the text, it says they have to have their heads covered. It's a sign of subordination. The man's the head of the, of the woman. But at the end of the passage, Paul says, wait a minute, she's got long hair. No, that, that's that's enough of a covering. Let's, let's, let's go on with it. So uh, I think uh, th this is kind of the way we have to look at the text. And that's, I think the question really then is, is what words are, are Paul's and what words are Paul's opponents? Yeah. So that's the key. Like you're going to come to drastically different conclusions depending on if that piece is true or not. Y yes. And, I, and let me make sure I, I was, I'm clear on that. And that is, you're absolutely right, depending on well, I say this is Paul's words. And no, I say those are his opponent's words. 
it's not so much as that as I'm going to say, if you say that these are Paul's words here, that you have these other the issues, the household, then it's going to contradict what he says later oh. on. And we mm -hmm. all know this is definitely Paul here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the way I would go. I would approach the text. Okay. Um, so we've talked about before about reading letters and interpreting letters is largely trying to piece together one end of the telephone conversation. Right. And so one of the things that we need to figure out is when we're looking at Corinth, what are some of the issues and problems that are happening in Corinth that Paul would even write this to begin with? And this is again, where both the complementarian male headship and the egalitarian that women are equal with men in terms of role and authority uh, are going to approach it with a different perspective. The complementarian view, which is the view I grew up with, and I know you've held for, for years, is kind of what we've been raised with. The more popular view amongst the evangelicals says that the problem in Corinth was that women were getting out of control. So in chapter 14, women must be silent. They were getting out of control. And so uh, women were taking their newfound liberties in Christ of being able to pray and prophesy in church, and they were abusing them. And so Paul is putting limitations on them, saying, look, you have to wear head coverings in chapter 11. And in chapter 14, they have to be silent in verses 34 and 35. Uh, I think that itself has to be questioned for the simple fact that if that's the case, this is the only place in the entirety of the New Testament in which those who were being oppressed in society were actually the, the cause of the problems. Everything mm -hmm. else in the New Testament is about freedom for the oppressed and good news for the poor. So I think the fact that Paul goes on in the very next section, which we'll discuss in our next episode, though this might turn into two episodes, we'll see how it goes. In the next section, which we talk about communion, verses 17 through 34 of chapter 11, Paul is going to rebuke the leadership in the church because, well, you, in verse 22, he says, you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing. So clearly in the next section, he's denouncing those who are in power and wealthy and prosperous. And the way they were treating those who were poor and those who were oppressed, it just simply makes more sense to me to say, it wasn't the women that were the problem, it was the men that were the problem. The problem then becomes then, if these are Paul's words, if, if we take the approach that it's the women that are the problem, then put a head covering on and be silent and ask your husbands at home. Those are Paul's words. And Paul is kind of setting women back to where they were before Christ and before the Holy Spirit came. So you're you're thinking then that some of the leading men in Corinth are they're having issues with this new freedom that you know women have. Uh, so what was that problem then? Yeah, and I've alluded to this before in previous episodes. I think what's going on then is that some of the men in Corinth, who were powerful and elite people in the society and the culture, were having trouble accepting women as equals. And I think this, and this might not have been a theological problem. They might have been going, you know, I'm okay. I understand. I get it. Okay, great. But then they go outside the church and the culture, and they're being looked down upon by those, by their equals. And they're going, okay, this isn't going well. How's this going to work? You know, they're, they're going to the gymnasium or whatever it must, it might be. And people are going, hey, what's going on with you guys? This isn't right. And they're being, um, there's economic consequences and social consequences for doing so. So they come back and go, you know what? Let's do this. Let's have them. You guys can pray and prophesy. That's all cool. We're into this Jesus thing and we get the Holy Spirit thing and the new, the new creation. That's all great. Acts 2, women are going to pray and prophesy. That's awesome. But you guys are still subordinate to men and have a sign of authority on your head. Now they can go back to the gymnasium and say, see, you know, that, no, it's okay. It's all good. We, still, we got control over everything. And I think that's what's going on there. In a, a patriarchal society, it's just easy to suppose that the men who'd been in authority all these years and now are being told that women are equal in authority, they're going to kind of rebel against Paul and against the church. And I think that's what's going on. Hmm. 
So we've already talked a little bit about this earlier, but it seems as though this passage in two verses two through 16, it appears to teach that women are subordinate to men. Like yes. on, on the surface, that's what it seems to be exactly. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of reiterate that I do. I, I think uh, that Paul is responding to some of the Corinthians and their assertion that women should have their head coverage when they're praying and prophesying in church is a sign of submission to men. And that's their, that's what they're saying. And if you read it as though that's what Paul's saying, like, oh, see, Paul says women have to have a sign of authority because men's head of the household. But I think that's them. Then Paul's arguing in response to them. Okay, but doesn't the theme of propriety and worship fit the larger context of yes. the, the section? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, verse 17, Paul says, look, in giving this instruction, I don't praise you because you come together not for better, but for worse. Now, some translations are going to say in the beginning of chapter 11, verse 17, in the following directives, I have nothing to praise you for. But mm-hmm. it doesn't say that in the Greek. Oh, really? It simply says, no, it's not in the Greek. It simply says, in, in giving this instruction, I don't praise you because you come together not for better, not for worse. So I don't think it's the following directives. I think it's the whole context. What we're looking at in this larger section is you guys are oppressing women. And then in verse 17 to 34, the poor. Yeah, my response is that I think this is something the Corinthians were saying and not Paul. Uh, I think if you look at verse 3 carefully, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Remember, I'm going to start the whole thing over. Yeah, my response is that this statement was something the Corinthians were saying and not Paul. And I realize that if this is correct, it means that those who are advocating for male headship based on 1 Corinthians 11 are actually, again, like I said, siding with Paul's opponents. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to go into this more detail later, Paul goes on to say in verses twenty in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21, it says, look, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. It's like, what's, what's he getting at? You know, he's talking about the fact that in spiritual gifts, we're all members of this one body of Christ, and that one can't say they're better than the other, and, you know, the, the hand can't say they don't need the eye, da, 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 da. But the fact that he specifically says the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. I think what Paul's doing is he's using their words and kind of rebutting them. He's in effect saying, look, if you men think you're the head of the woman, then you must understand that the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. And then Paul follows that up in verses 12 to, I'm sorry, he follows that up in verses 22 through 26. And this is chapter 12 again. He says, on the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on these we bestow more honor, and on the less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there, be should no, there should be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I think Paul's saying, look, even though it may seem that we women are weaker, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which so lacked. And I think he's he's taking their response and then uh, taking their statement and then saying, yeah, but here's the reality that even if you're right, there's still an equality within the members of the body of Christ. So I think if we read chapter 12, and there's more, more to be said, we read chapter 12, in light of this present argument, chapter 11, you begin to realize why Paul's framing the things in chapter 12 the way he did. And so you see chapter 12 is advancing the argument from chapter 11. Exactly. That, that's why, as I alluded to earlier, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, he lists apostles as the first of all the spiritual gifts and prophets as second. Well, why is he so eager to point out, you know, first prophets, then po- apostles, I'm sorry, first apostles, then a prophets, and then uh, teachers? I think he's so eager to point that out. Obviously, you know, he puts tongues at the bottom of the list for an issue that we'll discuss then. 
but the first, second, and third is because women were given responsibility and authority and privilege, and they were acknowledging that in Corinth as prophets. And Paul's like, look, let's elevate the women here. And if he's elevating women in their role as prophets in chapter 12, he can't be putting them down in chapter 11. I think it has to be them who are putting them down and not, not the women, not, yeah. not, not, not Paul. If if I'm listening to this from a complementarian standpoint, and I'm in, uh, you know, reading in in verse three, uh, you know, want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the wife is a husband. And, and so you're saying that that is the argument that he's, uh, just to make sure I understand your point, yeah. you're saying that that's the argument he's quoting and responding to, right? Yes, I, I think the very the beginning of verse three, Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of every woman, is them, and I suspect. That Paul's like, yeah, and God's the head of Christ. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing that, and I remember teaching this when I was younger, thinking, okay, how do we have, you know, um, complementarianism here fitting in? Well, it's clearly here's the case: uh, Christ is the head of man. It mm -hmm. goes God, Christ, man, woman, mm -hmm. and the God Christ part that's not a difference in nature, and the man woman part that's not a difference in nature, but there is a difference in role. And this is where you actually get functional subordination yeah, yeah. of the son and that's where in, they get this in trinitarian uh theological yeah, yeah. ideas so uh -huh. trinitarian theology that comes from this which is mm -hmm. actually i see in articles that, that and i have a good friend who's a a, a biblical theologian um it says this is blasphemous oh yeah there's, it, it undermines yeah. the very nature of christ it says that that god is the head of christ means that god is superior to christ in role but not in nature just like man's the head of woman and man's the superior in role, uh, but not in nature of over the woman. And I think what Paul's doing is he's like, hey, look, guys, God's the head of Christ. And so you and I get I think if you look at it in terms of the humanity there, but I don't think we take the subordination and say the son has been eternally subordinate to the father because it it radically undermines the divine eternal nature of God the Son. And he's not been eternally subordinate to the Father. Which is that that becomes the major controversy, and there's been a lot in in Trinitarian theology over the last decade, especially that has really been fighting this, saying, "Hey guys, this is a problem." But that's right. Uh, but that only comes if I can answer. Sorry, if yeah. that, that only comes from this one group of complementarians yes, yeah. who are looking at First Corinthians three and trying to justify their theology of yeah. male support, male superiority, and all of a sudden now they have Christ being subordinate to the yeah. Father, and it's like that's not what's going on. Yeah. My question though is when I'm looking, if, if we were to jump outside of mm -hmm. the Corinthians and, to, and if I'm hearing this as a complimentary and I'm thinking like, well, now wait a minute, when we read something like in Ephesians five, you have the household codes yeah, and, and it seems, you know, starting in verse 21, cause that's more of, it, it, we, our Bible translations, we usually put a, yeah. a section heading at verse 22 yeah. Yeah. and it's a longer argument that Paul's making. But we usually start at wives submit to your own husbands uh, as to the Lord for the husband of the head is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body uh, and is himself its savior. He seems to be using similar type language there. So I don't it just what do you do with that uh, in terms of this argument and how those things, how that looks in terms of headship? Uh, I think the answer, obviously, we go back to verse 20 and uh, 21, be subject mm -hmm. to one another in Christ. Mm -hmm. So if that is taken at full force, if we are to be subject to one another in Christ, then you don't have the woman being inferior when she's called to be subject to your own husbands. Now, look carefully what Paul does. So let me see if I can say this again. In verse 21, Paul says, be subject to one another. So if you isolate verse 22, wives be subject to your husbands, the C, the man's the head of the woman because the wife has to be submissive or subject mm -hmm. to him. 
then what do you do with verse 21 that says mm-hmm. we're submissive to one another? Then you go on, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I know it's the, the, the husband's role is actually to come underneath the wife by submission to her. I wouldn't say submission. I would say the, the husband's to come underneath the wife by lovingly laying down his life and sacrificing for her. In other words, if you take the concept of cross-bearing love, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, Paul's flipped it upside down and simply saying, hey, look, husbands, even if you are, I don't think that's what he's saying in Ephesians, and we'll discuss it more mm-hmm. in detail later. It is a different context. This, yeah, if you were to take this and say the husband's the head, it's like, well, yeah, but Paul just flipped the husband upside down and said, you have to actually love your wife so much that you laid down your life for her. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So, and there's, but, uh, by the way, I think when we get to um, uh, Ephesians and, and Colossians, I, I'll actually argue that what Paul talks about in this passage actually is to reverse the curse of, a fee, of uh, Genesis 3. And I think, obviously, um, complementarians misread the curse. The curse is not God saying, women, you're going to be subordinate to the husbands. It's actually, no, there's going to be rivalry between the two, but he's actually going to dominate you, even though you want to dominate him. And Paul's going to flip that upside down and say, in the new creation, God's actually reversed that also. So, mm-hmm. But that's that might have slipped by everybody there. And that's years away at the rate we're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if one of the problems we have in verses two through 16 of chapter 11 is identifying who is speaking, you know, is it Paul, is it his opponents? How do we tell which is which? Is it, This is so difficult. And it, is it just arbitrary? Is it... Is it the one who makes the point that you want to arrive at? Right. You know, like yeah. what, what do we do with this? Well, that's an easy way to do it. And I think uh, the answer is we have to look at the text carefully and um, the context carefully. I think we have to consider the implications of what we're saying. It makes the most sense to me of the passage that if we look at the larger context of 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, to say that the majority of this argumentation in the beginning of chapter 11, verses 3 through 10, the majority of that are the words of the Corinthians, Paul's opponents, or at least some of the leading men in the city of Corinth who are causing the trouble. And that Paul interjects every once in a while a statement of his own. And that verses 11 through 16 is Paul's response. And as I said before, that if you don't read it that way, then you're going to have a contradiction between the verses 3 through 10 and 11 through 16. Most notably, they have to have their head covered and the answer is, no, they don't. They have long hair. That's good enough. What do you do with that? And so I think the answer then is that in 1 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, Paul contends that a woman should not have head coverings because their authority is God. That having a head covering shows that they're subordinate to men. And Paul's answer is, no, God is their authority and God is the source. And that God gave them long hair and that's good enough. And let's let it be. So in verse 11, Paul responds to his his opponent's claim, but most uh, most of what we've seen prior to this is him re- recapping what they're saying. So now he's saying, no, this is actually my point now, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, 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 verse 11, again, there's some insertions of Paul giving kind of a response like, yes, but here and mm-hmm. there, but, but God is the head of Christ. So what do you do with that? And then verse 11 through 16 now is actually Paul's response. You want to go ahead and let's go ahead and read that so people have at least the context of what we're discussing now. 11 through 16? Yeah, verses 11 okay. through 16. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women women is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. 
for her hair is given to her, uh, her for a covering. For if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Yeah. So I think, again, this is Paul's response now. They're saying, hey, look, based on Genesis chapter 2, the man came first and the woman came from the man. Right? Uh, verse uh, 8, this says, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. See? Man's first, woman comes after that, woman is clearly subordinate. And Paul's going to respond by saying, hey, okay, look, here's the, re- here's the reality. First off, woman's not independent of man, and man's not independent of woman. If you want to say that man comes from women, that's fine. Sure, the woman came from the man. But guess what? Man is born from woman. So yeah, Eve might have came from Adam, but you came from your mom. And so, and then, oh, and after all, all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves, verse 13 now. Is it proper to pray or prophesy with our head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor, but the woman has long hair, it's her glory. That's the head covering God gave her, not the Mm -hmm. one you're trying to put on her, in other words. And then verse 16, if anyone wants to be contentious, we don't have any other practice nor have the churches of God. There's no other church having this Mm -hmm. issue right now, guys. You are the only ones doing it. And by the way, I don't, I do not praise you because when you come together, it's not, this is verse 17, it's not for better, it's for worse. So I think that's exactly what's going on. Paul is simply saying, this is the way it is. You have a bad read of Genesis and you have a problem with the fact that God has already covered her hair, covered her head as a sign of authority that she's under God. And that's the long hair that God has given to her. Hmm. So like, like we said in the intro, um, wherever you land at on this topic theologically we're assuming we're talking to the people who are having that the motive of saying i want to be faithful to the text yes so that's that's what we're talking to so there's always going to be injustices that are happening to women in society in the church so assuming we're coming at this as a place especially uh to my complementarian friends which Mm -hmm. you know I'm, i'm on your side of the equation like I, I could even say as a complementarian, it's like I, I I might not disagree with your reading here. Yeah. Because this isn't one of those things where it's just one text that's saying something. It's like, oh, right. I, I could actually say, like, that's... I think your your reading is pretty convincing here. Okay. Uh, but we, we usually don't come to theological conclusions based on yep. how one text that, that's uh, reads. Right. Yeah. And can, let me comment on that for a second, Vinny, because I think that's important that what you just did was show tremendous integrity. Because what we commonly do is when someone challenges a view that I have. And they show me a reading of a particular passage that I, uh, well, look, the Bible says this. And you're mm-hmm. like, and then you go, well, no, that can't be right because look at this verse over here. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of saying, you know, that actually is right. Well, now, and then going, well, what do you do with this verse over here? Mm-hmm. We don't often reason that way. So, that, yeah, there are still passages out there. I totally recognize that yep. we haven't solved the dilemma. If you agree with what I just said, we must all become egalitarians and make women equal of men. You still got to deal with First Timothy 2. Women can't preach or have authority in a, in a church. What's, you know, what what do you do with that? And there are other passages that you have to have to address. But I think starting with this text, let's start with this text. What does it say? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's let's move on. Yeah, and, and that's like we. That's the way anything should be. I mean, for me, <laughs> it's be. even in, in apologetic yeah. encounters with uh, you know, I learned this early on with yes. a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, and and yep. you're talking about being saved by grace through faith. And then you hear from the Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, well, what about James 2? And then it's like, yeah, but what about Romans 3? And all you're doing is like arguing back and forth. Right, right. And my thing is, you know, in that context, because that's something that like all the evangelicals listening to this right now, we all have agreement talking about this, right? So we'll take it out of the split of egalitarian versus complementarian. Like James is just as inspired as Ephesians 2 Mm -hmm. is. 
Like, so let's be okay with just going to James and figuring out what's happening there. And and so we need to be okay with just sitting in the text and not having to explain it away with our proof text. And and I would say it's the same thing. Like our goal is always to be faithful to the text. And I don't use the word, we want to be biblical. A lot of people use that word. Like this is a biblical thing. What does that mean? You know, like you define what it is and yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you don't meet those standards then you're not biblical, it's like, yeah, you kind of, that's. That's and that's something way. I'm always pushing for being, yeah. be faithful to the text. I always try to say, what does this mean? Regardless of how that fits in your system, I want to be faithful to the text. Yeah. And, and I can add to that, right? That when you go into a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you, you want them to come to your side. You, you want them to go at the end of the day, you know what? Rob's right. Or Vinny's right. Well, if I'm not willing to do that when they're right, mm-hmm. then why should they be willing to do that when I'm right? I, I, know yeah. I need to be able to be willing to say, you know what? I was wrong there. And I, I can't tell you how insignificant that has been. Not that I do it all, you know, do it well all the time, but the same idea with determined truth that we want to determine what the truth is. And we have to mm-hmm. be willing and honest to say, I have actually been wrong on that all these years. Yeah. After all, if the scriptures from, from Christ, I want to know what it says. And I need Rob to get out of the way as much as possible so I could discern what this says. Obviously, it's not it's not completely possible to get your own presuppositions no. out of the way completely. No, no. So back to I know the starting on this, <laughs> but like we definitely want to make sure that we're always reading the text in a way that uh, it is looking out for righteousness in the truest sense of the of the concept of making things right, making things the way they ought to be. Right. And unfortunately you know, through the hands of, you know, professing Christians over the years and especially in the world, women just don't always experience righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a lot of injustice that happens there. So I, in, in society and in the church, it experiences both. But I don't know. Do we want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, I, I would love to. I, I think this is an important point. And that is that we discussed at the beginning that, look, we can have differences of opinion on this, but the reality is that more than half of the population of humanity is suffering under injustice and gross injustice throughout this world. I think we need to stop and say, you know what? We need to do something about this. Instead of just, oh, this is a woman's liberation. It's like, no, this is a, this is a serious issue. So I think we need to understand the fact that uh, of what's going on. Let me ask the question by saying, you know, if we were to ask um, most men today, what are some of the gross, greatest injustices in the world? Crimes against women would probably not make the list. Mm. Uh, an author, Nicole Kidman, says that injustice against women are, are one of the invisible and underrecognized pandemics of our time. Um, the reality is that people just don't consider injustices towards women, which are maybe usually uh, like discrimination or whatever. That's not how, right, as serious issues, but they are actually symptomatic of a major, major problem. You know, the idea, oh, you know, women are paid less than men. Sure, that's wrong, but there are certainly more pressing issues in the world. And the reality is actually, you know what? And I put this in my blog. I think injustices towards women present us with some of the greatest issues of injustice in the world. Hmm. And that's a heavy statement. But I think if we look at it carefully, I think it's actually really true. And I think regardless of your view on the role of women in the church and things of that nature, we need to stop and go, hey, what's going on? Um, The fact is that women are far more impacted by global injustices like sex selection, abortions, infanticide, forced marriages, being sold into sex trafficking, being denied access to education. And by a global culture that promotes women as subordinate to men as often and often as objects. And that's something that that's not even a, a modern issue. I mean, you could right. go back 2000 years right. and the, the trash heaps that would be there um, in, in the Roman world. If you had a, a baby, obviously, if you had a baby that was deformed, if there was an issue, you right. might just throw the baby on the trash heap. 
it, it might even be like, oh, I, I got a girl, I need a boy. And it, it would like, that's just what you do. It, it would not be co- uncommon to see female babies there. We've seen what right. happened with China with this overpopulation right. issues. And they were saying, okay, families can only have one kid. Well, guess what? If I don't have the boy to carry on my family name, what am I going to do? It's, the, yeah, it's not just the family name. It's caring for the parents because the woman yeah. becomes part of the other par- other other family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to have a boy so that when mm-hmm. you get old, someone cares for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so like, we don't even see that, like everyone would acknowledge, oh, that's not right. But it's like, yeah, that's part of the systemic injustice that we right. see just assumed towards women. Yeah. In fact, globally, abortions are far more likely to occur because the child's found out to be a girl. Interesting. Um, millions more females are left exposed to death. Like after they're born, mm-hmm. they're left, it's called exposure. They just leave them out to die because mm-hmm. they're females. At the same time, females are subject to slavery and sexual abuse at significantly higher rates than men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea of um, abortions, infanticide, slavery, and sex trafficking are signs of a pandemic when in fact it affects hundreds of millions, if mm-hmm. not billions of women around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even we definitely get to that into the pay gap. I think there's a lot of industries that you know, they're making up for that. And there's great, I mean, this is one of those, uh, having a wife who's a public school teacher, you see, uh, and I worked in the public schools for a while. You see Mm -hmm. the, the bad aspects of unions where they're rightfully critiqued for many of the bad things they do, but there's great things that happen where it's like, you don't have to worry about the idea that still happens in many places. I've heard about in in private Christian schools where they pay Mm -hmm. male teachers more than female teachers, Mm -hmm. because this isn't the primary income of the female of their household. And it's like, you're telling me that they're not doing the same job. They're not worth the same. (laughs) And you are the one to determine how much they should get paid based off of whatever kind of preconceived idea. I mean, that's, that's an injustice. Statistics are that when all things are equal, so education is equal, job experience is equal, things, everything's equal, same job. Women earn 82 cents for every dollar that a man earns. Hmm. A black woman earns 62 cents. So globally, women are paid 54 cents for every dollar that's earned by a man. And this, again, when all factors are are equal. Mm. So uh, one of the things that happens with people is they go, oh, well, you know, women don't have the same education. Women don't have the same experience. And part of that is attributed to the fact that women sometimes stop their careers Mm -hmm. to care for the the kids at home, things of that nature. But women earn more college degrees graduate degrees and postgraduate degrees than men. Hmm. And they've been doing so every year since 2007. So if you go, oh, men are more educated, it's like, actually, that's not the case. There's an article by the Brookings Institute that says this. It says, when a, what happens if a woman perseveres in obtaining a college degree in a field where she encounters discrimination and underestimation and wants to pursue a postgraduate degree in that field and maybe then work in academia? The literature suggests additional ob- obstacles await her. These obstacles may take the form of those in the field thinking she's not brilliant like her male in graduate school, having her looks discussed on j- online job boards when she's job hunting, performing more service work if she becomes university faculty, and getting less credit for co-authored publications in some disciplines when she goes up for tenure. And by the way, I know of specific women that have had that happen to them. Hmm. They wrote a book and then all of a sudden somebody else got the credit for the book. So hmm. uh, the fact that you know everyone's going to think that this is an injustice, but the reality is we don't act upon it. I think, you know, as I said at the beginning, if we were talking about, you know, what are the injustices that are, are problems in the world, issues of women wouldn't come up very often and they mm-hmm. wouldn't be at the top of the list. But the reality is an inequity of pay between you know, two individuals, male, one male, one female, 
is a sign of a deeper societal issue. It's a sign of a lack of respect mm -hmm. and the fact that women are consistently passed over for promotions or other assignments or turned down, down for jobs simply because of their, of their gender is a sign of a systemic, as you use the word, a systemic problem in our culture that actually leads to other issues. And this one, I don't think we realize that, oh, it's just a big, it's not a big deal. It's just, it's just pay. It's not, it, oh, it's, or just harassment or whatever it might be. These are systemic issues that have global ramifications of serious uh, consequences. Well, and even with pay, and this is this is difficult when it comes from the Christian worldview, because we obviously would not put our value in money and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But you could use pay as a barometer for how we view things, because we we put money where we value things. Right. And, so, and so even there, if we're not willing to pay certain people based on you know, when everything is the same, but the, the factor is it's a woman and so we're not going to pay you as much. Right. That, that's saying what you value. And, and this is why I like to right. use, even use a sports analogy when you get the contracts that pop up by whether it's, you know, who, whatever it's these top guys, yeah. they want to know that, you know, like, it, does, does it really matter if Steph Curry is getting $35 million a year or 36.2? Well, it does if the other guy, the other shooting guard is at 36.1 and he's like, no, I'm the best in the league. He got the more recent contract. I need to get paid more because I need to know that I'm worth more right. than him. Yeah, and that's that's what we do. We 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 do pay based on worth, uh, right. and so that's why it's important in itself to show like, hey, it's it's not about accumulating the riches. It's saying this is what we value, and right. and in this case, we value equality when it's when it's due. Yeah, 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 yeah. The reality is that throughout the world, wives, um, daughters, mothers, and sisters are routinely experience oppression. Then that comes as a result of this devaluing of them. Women are simply because of their gender, they're deprived of education opportunities. In some, some countries, they, they can't afford to educate the kids because they can't afford the uniform and the mm -hmm. school fees. Mm -hmm. So they send their son to school and not the daughter. And this is just common. As a result, the daughter can't get an education. And so she's not going to be able to basically to, to provide for herself in the future. So she now becomes dependent upon a man and she has to get married and they often get married at, at young ages. So the, according to the World Health Organization, 35% of women worldwide have experienced intimate partner violence or non-partner sexual violence in their lifetime. The data shows that, that one out of every three women have been a victim of some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. In some countries, women are forced into unwanted marriages. Throughout the world, women are deprived of these educational opportunities because of forced marriages. Young girls, often teenagers, are forced into marrying men, typically much older. And are denied an opportunity that's further denies an opportunity, right? For them to achieve their dreams of being teachers, doctors, or whatever else they have. Uh, May Cannon, who's a colleague of mine, says in one of her books, women are the most vulnerable community when it comes to physical and sexual violence. So of the 30 to 40 million people enslaved today, 70% are women. Mm -hmm. Most of the women who are enslaved are sex trafficked. So the United Nations reports that violence against women, quote, violence against women and girls is among the most widespread and devastating human rights violations in the world. But much of it is often unreported due to impunity, shame, and gender inequality. When it comes to the proliferation of abuse toward women, it's hard to underestimate how serious a problem it is. Now, it gets worse, by the way. There are, there are as many as 10 times more women trafficked in sex slave today than there were the number of slaves brought to the new world. Hmm. And then you added the sexual violence against women is not just an international issue. It's a domestic issue as well. I mean, in the United States, 20% of women have reported that they've been raped at some point in their life. The same report says that 25% of girls in the U.S. will experience sexual abuse before they turn 18. Mm -hmm. 
The numbers relate to sex trafficking in the U.S. are alarming. According to a Business Review report, it said, quote, the United States, along with Mexico and the Philippines, was ranked as one of the worst places in the world for human trafficking in 2018. In the U.S., there is no official number of human trafficking victims, but estimates place it in the hundreds of thousands. Wow. Um, in response, the national Me Too movement and, and hashtag Church Too movements, uh, which were intended to bring awareness to the unjust treatment of women, this is the Southern Baptist Convention put together a commission on sexual abuse and advisory group within the denomination. And they did a two-year investigation mm -hmm. and they issued a report called Caring Well. And in the report, the commission said, quote, although research varies on the prevalence of abuse in America, the commonly accepted rates of abuse for the most frequently cited sources are staggeringly high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, sorry, just hearing yeah, it. Just, no. It's right. it's difficult to to process that because you you do get these reports that there are just millions of missing women in the world. Like, where are they? Yeah, yeah. there was actually a book that I think in 1990, a Nobel um, Prize winning economist, uh, Amartya Sen, wrote an essay in the New York Review. And, he, and I think the title of the book was like, where are all the missing women? And what they found is this. Historically, Globally, the birth rate is that boys are born about 1.05 boys to 1.00 girls. I mean, slightly mm -hmm. more boys mm -hmm. than girls. Now, the more boys are conceived is actually helpful because men die uh, sooner than women. So war and violent crimes, things of that nature. Are all... So ultimately, they compare the number of men and women in the world and with an equation. The result, however, of, of Marta Sen's research was they found that there should be between 60 million and 100 million women that are missing. Hmm. In other words, you do the stats of how many men there are, how many women there should be, and you're like, wait a minute, we're missing between 60 and 100 million women. So some people have then taken this research today and said the number's more like 200 million women hmm. that are missing. Now, again, some of the reasons why they're missing is sex-selective abortions and infanticide, exposure, things of that nature. But other causes are, are the fact that women are denied access to health care, um, the shortage of women in some countries leads to crime against women. So what happens is in China, as you mentioned before, they have not enough men, uh, not enough women being born. So what are they going to do? So what they they do is they steal the women from somewhere else. People steal women from other countries. They bring them to China and they get married. China pays up to $3,000 to $13,000 for a family will pay for one of these women. The, the girls are smuggled into the family. And then what happens is they're usually locked in a room. They're raped repeatedly. The goal is to get them pregnant. And then sometimes they can escape, but they have to leave their child behind. There's evidence of similar patterns of, of uh, there's evidence of similar patterns. Of, it's called, it's called uh, bride migration and trafficking in Cambodia, North Korea, and Vietnam. The lower number of females also increases childhood marriages. And again, if a, if a girl gets married at a young age, that means she's not in school. That means she can't provide financially for herself because she can't get a good enough job for sustainability. So Elaine Storkey wrote a book and she, she mentions this quote, every three seconds, a girl under the age of 18 is married somewhere in the world, mm. usually without her consent and sometimes to a much older man. Mm. Early marriages forces the young girl to lose their opportunities for education and securing a future for their own. These girls had hopes and dreams and aspirations. Again, as soon as we start getting into the, what's really going on, then we realize this is this is a, a staggering, a staggering. And I'll tell you, I, I was, I don't remember exactly what the sermon was on, but I was preaching a sermon and uh, I was talking about women and, and maybe some of this information or whatever it might've been. 
And I started to do the closing prayer and I'm just like, oh my gosh, because not only did I think of my wife and, and I have a daughter, mm -hmm. but I had just had a newborn granddaughter oh. and I thought, oh no, what kind of world, you know, I was, I was immersed in the study and in this research, I'm thinking, what kind of world is she coming into? You know, and you, you might know, by the way, my, my daughter has a black belt. It's because I came across mm -hmm. these statistics a long time ago. I'm like, okay, 20% mm -hmm. of women report having been, having been raped. Uh, my daughter's blonde. She's going to go to college. Yep. She's going to be able to defend herself. The reality then is um, half the human race is involved in this. I think the answer begins with the church stay, saying that we affirm the equality that women are made in the image of God mm -hmm. alongside of men. Yeah. And that's even like the SBC that you noted. Uh, and there's major issues that have popped up in the SBC regarding yeah. this issue over the last yeah. few years. And that's, that is a complementarian uh, yeah. denomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's where, so even it's so obviously there, there is a lot of abuse that's happening yeah. and, and that's being minimized and yeah. not being reported, but you have someone like a JD Greer, who is a complementarian saying, no, we need, this is, needs to be important. Yeah. Uh, and so there are those voices within those, those organizations and movements that said like, no, we could still be this, but do it well. I think that's one of the things that we need to make sure that we're looking at too, especially when it comes to abuse and equalities and all that of women in our American uh, context in the churches, it's not a complementarian problem, right? Because you would see the same thing. Right. Look at Willow Creek and right. all the major issues of Bill Hybels. That was an egalitarian uh, mm -hmm. system, and so it's it's not going to be. This isn't just a complementarian issue. This is a this is a sin issue. This is a people issue. It's a and human it's, issue. Yeah, it's a human issue. Yeah, right. and it and it's going to happen in the church. And that's you're very right. We need to continue to emphasize that no women are just as much image of God bearers as men, and we need to treat them that way. Yeah, yeah. Let's close with this. Mimi Haddad, whom we had on our podcast a little more than a year ago, says this. In study after study, research suggests that when a culture values females as much as males, girls are more likely to survive to adulthood. Hmm. For this reason, gender justice begins with an idea that males and females are of equal worth. Mm -hmm. And if that sounds liberal or woke or whatever, like our yeah, like yeah. we're not coming from a perspective. It's like, no, that's just biblical. That's like, yeah. that's, you don't get out of the first chapter of the Bible without seeing that, uh, you know, when we God said, let us make humankind in our image. And, and then he made them male and female in right. his image. There's an right. equality there. And, and that we need to take that seriously. That's, yeah. that's not woke. That's not liberal. That's just biblical. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was fun. That, definitely yeah. a lighthearted, uh, <laughs> Topic. Yeah, what's up next week? Yeah, are, are we done with uh, chapter eleven? We no, we're gonna do communion and first Corinthians okay, chapter eleven. Okay, the topic okay. of communion next week. It's gonna be really cool. Yeah, that'll be fun. So good. Well, hey everyone, keep reading in this. Uh, it, I guess we should do a plug. You do have a, a devotional that goes through these as well, right? So how do they mm -hmm. uh, get the devotional? So the devotional guide is available on the website on uh, determinedtruth.com. You can look it up. Uh, just search in devotional guide, and all the issues will come up. Or email me. Uh, at rdarnerpal19 dot uh, at gmail dot com rdarnerpal19 at gmail dot com and then and say I want to be part of the devotional guide study and I will email them to you each week as they come out but we're in I'm emailing out like Ephesians right now so so, so okay. Ephesians Philippians yeah we did a good job for a while keeping, keeping yeah pace we were with trying those. to keep pace with that with the devotional guide and I'm like yeah that's not working so we, yeah, we yeah. slowed down here so good all right everyone I hope you enjoy a. Uh, I don't know when this one comes out. There's holidays coming up. So whatever holiday that we're in, I hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast.
You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.